On this episode of the Grizz Podcast, I want to answer two very important questions. What is the Bible, and how do we know it's God's Word? So here we go. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast. Our mission is to guide, encourage, and equip you on your journey with Christ. It's time for you to rise up, honor God, and live manly. Now here's our host, Jason George. Get him, Jay. Yo, yo, what's going down on my brothers from other mothers? Thanks for tuning in to The Grizz. Today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. As usual, coming at you from the low country of beautiful South Carolina. So I got two important questions that I want to answer. What is the Bible and how do we know that the Bible is truly God's word? So many people don't have a clue about anything regarding the Bible. Yet they ridicule it, they make fun of it, they reject it. But man, if they only knew what I know, I believe that they would have a different opinion, (laughs) view about the Bible. First of all, the term Holy Bible, it comes from the Latin phrase Biblia Sacra which means holy books or sacred writings. The Holy Bible has 66 books within it. It is one book that has 66 books within it. It is divided into two testaments. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, and there are 27 books in the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. The Old Testament books were all originally written in the Hebrew language, except for a few passages that were written in the Aramaic language. The New Testament books were all originally written in a language known as Koine Greek. Now, there were basically two requirements for an Old Testament book to be considered as a quote-unquote holy book or a sacred writing that came from God. The first requirement, you know, to make the cut be included in the Bible for the Old Testament is that the writer of the book had to be a well-known spokesman for God who was speaking or writing a message from God. Examples of this would be Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, King David, etc. Another requirement is that the book had to be completely free from all historical, geographical, and theological errors. If it didn't make those two requirements, it didn't make the cut. It didn't get included in the Old Testament scriptures. Also, with the New Testament, there were basically three requirements to make the cut for a book to make the cut and be considered a holy book or sacred writing from God and get included in the Bible. The first requirement is that the book had to be authored by one of the 12 apostles or someone closely associated with one of the 12 apostles. Remember, the 12 apostles were Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Judas, or Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot. And then after the suicide of Judas Iscariot, Matthias took his place. So those are the 12 apostles. And this was the primary question that was asked as to whether or not a book was considered a sacred writing that should be included in the New Testament. Was the book authored by one of the 12 apostles or 
by someone closely associated with one of the 12 apostles. For instance, Mark, who was a close associate of the apostle Peter, he's the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. And then there was Dr. Luke, who was a close associate of the apostle Paul. He wrote the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. The other requirement for a book to make the cut for the New Testament is that the content of the book had to line up with exactly what the apostles taught the early church. If it didn't line up with that, it didn't make the cut. The other requirement is that the book had to be read and used in the early churches. For instance, did the first century church accept that book or that letter? Did the first century church read that book during its worship services? Did the first century church make its teaching part of their daily living? If it didn't meet these three requirements, then it didn't make the cut for the New Testament. Also, talking still about what is the Bible, the Bible in its whole was written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 human authors from three different continents. The Bible contains in its whole, from Genesis to Revelation, a total of 1,189 chapters. Within all of those chapters are 31,173 verses. And, by the way, none of the chapter and verse divisions were included in any of the original manuscripts. The chapter and verse divisions were added much later in history to help people just simply be able to navigate through their Bible um, easier, more quickly. It's easy when a pastor says, turn in your Bible to John chapter 14, verse 6. I want to show you something about who Jesus says he is in John chapter 14, verse 6. Makes it so much easier to find certain things. But they were not part of the original manuscripts. Fact number 11, the 39 books of the Old Testament are primarily about the history of Israel and the promise of the coming Messiah. You know, Genesis 3.15 is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. It is the first time God mentions the promise of a coming Messiah. Messiah means Savior, Deliverer. Christ means the same thing. When somebody says Jesus Christ, they're not calling Jesus by his last name. His last name was not Christ. It's more of a title. The Deliverer, the Messiah the promised one, the Savior. So the Old Testament books are primarily about um, the history of Israel and this promise of a coming Messiah. Uh, The 27 books of the New Testament are primarily about the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ and also the establishment of the church. That's what they're primarily about. There's a lot of talk in the New Testament about his birth, his perfect life, his incredible teaching, of course, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, um, his Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles, the growth and the spread of the gospel through the Great Commission, the establishment of the church and also teaching about the future, what God is going to do, future restoration, a future kingdom that has already begun but will be fulfilled in the new heaven and new earth. 
Also, the Bible in its whole, Genesis to Revelation, it has a unique focus upon the person of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. Even in the Old Testament books, there are these extremely detailed prophecies about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these extremely detailed prophecies were written from 400 to 1,500 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary, which both of those are messianic prophecies right there, that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem and that he would be born to a virgin. Prophecies. All of these prophecies were written 400 to 1,500 years before he ever was born in Bethlehem. It's incredible. Jesus does make appearances in the Old Testament before he became a man. These are called Christophanies. Let's see. Also, just helping you understand what the Bible is. It is the most translated and purchased book in all of history. It is still the number one bestseller of all time. Also, over 4,000 times, the Bible asserts that it is God's word. Over 4,000 times in the Bible, it is saying that it is God's word, that it is God's revelation to man. It is God's holy message to humanity. Let me show you a couple of those passages of scripture where the Bible asserts that it is God's word. I'll give you one passage from the Old Testament and then two in the New Testament. The probably for me, the most famous one in the Old Testament is Psalm 19, verses 7 and 11. Listen to the way that um, this passage describes the word of God or the, the sacred writings, the Bible. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect. See, it's not just the law, it's the law of the Lord. It's the law from the Lord, the Lord God, the Creator. Restoring the soul, it is the testimony of the Lord. Uh, It is sure, it makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In that passage alone, six different references for the word of God. Again, over 4,000 times the Bible asserts that it is God's word. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17 says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. What's he talking about there? That from childhood... Timothy, who Paul is writing to in this passage, has been taught the sacred writings. What were the sacred writings? The Old Testament, because the New Testament had not been written yet. You have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He goes on and he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Again, why am I reading that to you? Just showing you that over 4,000 times the Bible asserts that it is God's word. 
This is another passage I wanted to show you that uh, where it does that. There's um, also 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Peter writes, so we have the prophetic word, the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So these two New Testament passages I just read, um, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that all of the Bible is quote unquote inspired by God. The actual Greek word for that phrase inspired by God is theopneustos. And that Greek word literally means breathed out by God. The scriptures were breathed out by God. And the Apostle Peter tells us that the Holy Scriptures came to us from men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, the Bible is asserting over 4,000 times from Genesis through Revelation that it is God's word, God's message, God's truth. And that God's word, God's message, God's truth came to us from over 40 human writers who were inspired by God, who were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, we live in this uh, woke society that says there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. None of us can really be certain of anything. And so, you know, a crucial question that needs to be answered for this woke society in which we live is, can we be certain that the Bible is the inspired word of God? It says that it is. It claims that it is over 4,000 times, but can we be certain of that because God is stating an absolute truth over 4,000 times with that. And the answer is yes, we can be certain that the Bible is God's inspired word, that it truly is God's message to humanity, that it truly is God's unchanging truth. Yes, we can be certain. And to these woke thinkers of today, you know, they may say, well, how, how can we be certain that the Holy Bible is really God's word? After all, aren't there many books in the world that claim to be some sort of divine book or eternal truth? And I say back to them, yeah, you're right. There are many books in the world that claim to be some sort of divine book or eternal truth. And I I get where they're going to try to go. Like, I understand the logic. Just because a book says that it's God's word, that doesn't make it God's word. There are actually many books in the world that I know claim to be that. They claim to be some sort of divine book or eternal truth, such as Muslims will claim that the Quran written by Muhammad is the word of God. Mormons will claim that the book of Mormon written by Joseph Smith, that that's the word of God. Hindus will claim that the Bhagavad Gita is the source of eternal truth. And those that are within Christian science, which is not Christian at all, they claim that the writings of Mary Baker Eddy are the quote-unquote revelation of truth for this age. Then you've got the Jehovah Witnesses that claim that the Watchtower publications that they put out have a divine author. And then there's the Scientology founder, L. Ron Hubbard, He claims to have direct revelation from 
God. And even Karl Marx, he claimed that his writing, The Communist Manifesto, is the ultimate truth. So let me present to you some astonishing reasons why I am certain that the Holy Bible is the inspired Word of God. Why I believe that it is truly God's message to humanity. It is God's eternal, unchanging truth. First reason, because of its complete cohesiveness from Genesis to Revelation. This reveals that it is truly the inspired word of God because of its complete cohesiveness from Genesis to Revelation. You have to understand that the Bible in its whole was written over a period of 1,500 years with over 40 human authors from three different continents, and yet, as a whole, it remains completely unified without contradiction or error. The Holy Bible reveals that it is inerrant. Inerrancy is the doctrine that says the entire Bible is totally without error and it is free of all contradictions. And my question is, how does that randomly happen? How does that randomly happen over a period of 1,500 years with over 40 human authors from three different continents? There is obviously something, someone, omniscient, all-knowing, behind all of it, orchestrating all of it, putting together the sacred writings to be one whole, the Bible. Reason number two, how can we be certain the Holy Bible is the inspired word of God? Because of the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies contained within its pages. Have you ever looked at the fulfilled prophecies? It's incredible. There are literally over 500 detailed prophecies in Scripture that have already come true. And these hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, what do they reveal? That this is no ordinary book. It's not just claiming to be something. It's proving, validating that it is what it claims to be. When God says something is going to happen, it happens There are fulfilled prophecies. Over 500 Bible prophecies have already been fulfilled. And there are still some that have yet to be fulfilled. Let me give you an example of some of them. Sorry. One of the, uh, let me grab a sip of my water here. A little bit under the weather. Scratchy throat. One of the very first prophecies is that God warned Adam and Eve that they would die if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, as a result of their disobedience, they did eventually die, just as God said, Genesis 2.17. Prophecy fulfilled. (laughs) You eat it, you're going to eventually die. What happened? They died. Then God warned Noah about a global flood that would destroy the world. And that global flood came just as God said it would, Genesis 6, 17. And there is incredible um, mounting evidence that there was, in fact, a global flood. Another fulfilled prophecy The prophet Isaiah promised that a ruler named Cyrus would rise to power in Persia and rebuild Jerusalem, and he did. More than 200 years after Isaiah prophesied it, Isaiah 44, 28. The prophet Daniel foretold the swift rise of Alexander the Great, 
and the division of his empire into four parts. And it happened 250 years later. Daniel chapter 7, verse 6. The Old Testament prophets made over 60 predictions about Messiah's first coming, and all of them were fulfilled. And 400 years later, you know, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, Micah 5 2. The Bible claims that, uh, um, I don't want to get into that yet with science. Um, I'll get into that maybe later. But these are just some examples of prophecy that are fulfilled. Um, we'll get into some of the science in just a little bit. The point is with these fulfilled prophecies is that God is a God of his word. And we can be certain that the Bible is truly the word of God because of the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies contained within its pages. It shows that God is reliable, he is trustworthy, he is dependable, uh, and you can count on him to come through every single time. Reason number three, we can be certain that the Holy Bible is the inspired word of God. Because of its complete accuracy of historical events, its complete accuracy of historical events. I'll share uh, some of those with you in just a minute. Listen to some of these quotes. This is so fascinating. Nelson Gluick, who is a renowned Jewish archaeologist, states, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference, ever. So all this archaeology that's taken place, is there anything that they have found or uncovered that would contradict the Bible? And Nelson Gluick, who is a renowned Jewish archaeologist, says, no, there's not been one. Dr. William Albright, who was not a friend of Christianity and was probably the foremost authority in Middle East archaeology in his time, he said this about the Bible. There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament. Another example uh, of this with history confirming uh, that the Bible truly is God's word is the story of Jericho that is recorded in the Old Testament book of Joshua. For many years, skeptics uh, thought that the story of the falling walls of Jericho was a myth. However, in the 1930s, Dr. John Garstang made a remarkable discovery, and he states, As to the main fact, then, there remains no doubt the walls of Jericho fell outwards so completely that the attackers would be able to clamber up and over the ruins of the city. This is remarkable because city walls fall inward and not outward. But he found that they fell through his archaeological work exactly as the Bible said that they did. Then the March 5th, 1990 issue of Time Magazine, it featured an article called Score One for the Bible. In this article, archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon claimed that uh, Jericho's walls had fallen suddenly, and many scholars feel an earthquake, which may also explain the damming of the Jordan, is what caused this sudden fall of these walls. Additionally, she says grain was discovered, which shows the city was conquered quickly. This find adds credence, she says, to the biblical account. Um, further study by Brian Wood found the date of the fall of Jericho to match the Bible's date of the fall of Jericho. 
Let's see. There is one more thing I wanted to share in regard to this. Let me find that. Let's see, this comes from Clifford Wilson, professor. Uh, he does work over at Answers in Genesis. He says, archaeology confirms Bible history, and it often shows that Bible people and incidents are correctly referred to. One example is that of Sargon, a king that was named in Isaiah 20, verse 1. Critics at one time said there was no such king as Sargon. They never found anything in history, archaeology, to ever talk about this king. But then his palace was found at Korsabad, and there was a description of the very battle referred to by Isaiah. Another illustration, he says, is the death of the Assyrian king Sennacherib. His death is recorded in Isaiah 37 and also in the annals of Sennacherib's son, Ersahaddon, whom Isaiah says succeeded Sennacherib. Again, what are we talking about? How can we be certain the Holy Bible is the inspired Word of God? One of the ways is because of its complete accuracy of historical events. Another way that we can be certain is because of its complete accuracy of science. That's right, science. I want you to listen to what Dr. Hugh Ross writes regarding the time when he was an unbeliever Uh, when he first investigated the Bible while he was testing various other quote-unquote sacred books for their scientific and historical accuracy. This is what he found, and I quote Dr. Hugh Ross. Listen to this. I found the Bible noticeably different from all other sacred books. It was simple, direct, and specific. I was amazed at the quantity of historical and scientific material it included and at the detail of this material. For the next year and a half, I spent about an hour a day searching the Bible for scientific and historical inaccuracies. And I finally had to admit that it was error-free and that this perfect accuracy could only come from the creator himself. Further, I had proven to myself on the basis of predicted history and science that the Bible was more reliable than many of the laws of physics. My only rational option was to trust the Bible's authority to the same degree as I trusted the laws of physics. Through my research, guys, I also found that there are Many scientists throughout history who viewed the Bible as the inspired word of God, and they have stated that science and the Bible are not in conflict. There is uh, Johannes Kepler, who was the founder of physical astronomy. He is one of them. Robert Boyle, the father of modern chemistry, is another. Then there's Blaise Pascal, the great mathematician who laid the foundation for areas of study such as hydrodynamics, differential calculus, and probability theory. Then there's Sir Isaac Newton, who invented calculus. He discovered the law of gravity and the three laws of motion. Listen to what Newton said about the Bible. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. So how can we be certain the Holy Bible is the inspired word of God? Give you another reason. Reason number five. Because of the integrity of the human writers that God used to write the Bible. Now, when I say integrity, I'm not talking about the perfection of human writers because none of them were perfect. They were all sinners. They all made mistakes. Some of them made great mistakes throughout their life, but they were very 
honest about their mistakes. Their mistakes are recorded in Scripture. And there's nothing hidden. The good, the bad, the ugly is all there, even about the authors themselves. Integrity is defined as the human quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. When you examine the lives of the various writers that God used to write the Bible, here's what you discover, that they were men of integrity whose lives were radically transformed by God. The writers that God used to write the Bible were eyewitnesses to the facts that they wrote about. And many of them died brutal and torturous deaths because of what they spoke and wrote. I'm sure that you've heard this said before, but no one knowingly dies for a lie. These writers knew that they had the truth, and they knew that that truth was controversial, and many hated it, and they knew they'd be persecuted for it. They lived for that truth, and many of them, prophets of the Old Testament and apostles in the New Testament, They lived for that truth, and they died for that truth. No one knowingly dies for a lie. How can we be certain the Holy Bible is the inspired of of God? Again, look at the integrity of the writers. Look at who God used to write it. Number six, because Jesus Christ affirmed that Scripture was God's Word. Jesus himself affirmed it. Now, if Jesus affirmed the scriptures as God's word, then that more than settles it for me because he's the resurrected Christ. Let me grab a sip of my water real quick. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, proving that he was exactly who he said he was. He was the promised Messiah. He was the God-man. He was the Son of God. He was the Holy One of Israel. He was, in fact, the King of the Jews. The great I Am, Yahweh, in human flesh. So for me, if Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, affirmed, the scripture is God's word, then that more than settles it for me. Because for me, Jesus is Lord. By the way, the only time Jesus contradicted and rejected scripture was when Satan or people, especially religious leaders, twisted it or misinterpreted it. How can we be certain the Holy Bible is the inspired word of God? Reason number seven, because of the Bible's incredible ability to stand the test of time and unceasing attacks. You know, the Holy Bible is not only the most translated and purchased book in all of history, but it's also the most persecuted book in all of history. No other book has suffered the amount of attacks that the Holy Bible has. It goes all the way back to 303 AD, when the Roman emperor Diocletian tried to completely destroy the Bible. Another example is Voltaire, a French Enlightenment writer and deist. He stated that within a hundred years of his time, Christianity would be swept away from existence and pass into obscurity of history. Yet, 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society actually came in and used his house and his printing press to produce stacks of Bibles and then distribute them around the world. The Bible has the incredible ability to stand the test of time and unceasing attacks. Do you know why? It's because it's more than just a book. It is the inspired word of God. And 1 Peter 1, verses 24 and 25 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
And this is the word which was preached to you. Then there's Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He said, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. How can we be certain the Holy Bible is inspired by the word? It is the inspired word of God. Reason number eight, because of the millions and millions and millions of lives that have been completely transformed by it. Listen, myself, along with millions upon millions of others, will testify that we have been saved by the grace of God through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. That faith in the Lord Jesus Christ came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did we hear? We heard the Bible. Someone told it to us. Someone read it to it, read it to us, preached it to us. Somehow, some way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And myself, along with millions and millions of others, will testify that the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, the Holy Bible, has transformed our lives from the inside out. It has transformed my life. It is still transforming my life. I go to the Bible daily to continue to have my life transformed because the Bible does for me what other books can't do for me because it truly is the inspired Word of God. This book that's right in front of me right now, the sacred writings, the Biblia Sacra, the Holy Bible, this book is living and it is active. The Bible says it is a two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12. It pierces into the heart of man. It convicts. It convicts us of sin. It shows us who God is and it shows us who we really are even the hidden parts of us. It shows us our motives, why we do what we do, what's really going on. It pierces, it cuts, but it also has the ability to heal, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring comfort, to bring joy, to bring wisdom and guidance on how to live. Myself, along with millions and millions of others, will testify that the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, the Bible, it has transformed our lives from the inside out. How do you argue with that? There's so many that would stand up and testify and say, my life, my life is evidence. I'm not everything I want to be, but I'm sure not who I was. I'm not the same person. I've been changed. And how were you changed? Because of the word of God. You hear the word of God, and the word of God is used by the spirit of God to bring changes. It brings justification, and then it brings sanctification. That process of making us more like Christ from the inside out. Think about yourself, a lot of you listening. Think about the power the Word of God has had upon you and continues to have upon you. You know it is not like other books. There are times that (laughs) we don't want it. We don't want it, man. Because we know it's going to be a sword and it's going to come in and do some piercing. It's going to be also what James talks about in his letter. It's going to be like a mirror. It's going to show us who we really are. We're going to see what's not right, what's out of place. We don't like looking in the mirror. But we need to look in the mirror. It's an amazing, amazing book. 
the Bible because it's more than just a book. It is truly the inspired Word of God. Just a couple closing items of challenge to you guys. Become an obsessed student, <clears throat> student of the, of the Word of God, of the Bible. Take time to really dig in it and study it, to learn it, to be able to pull out its meaning, because the meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. It's important that you learn how to do that. You need to know what words in the Bible mean, certain definitions, things like justification, sanctification, glorification, propitiation, um, reconciliation. There's so many words that we need to understand in Scripture. Become an unashamed, radically devoted doer of the Word. Don't just study the Word of God. Study to understand it, that you might come to do it, to live it. That's what God says is important. God's not here just to create deep-thinking theologians, philosophers, God's like, no, I want you to take it, follow it. Use the word of God like you would a compass or a map to navigate your life by. Use it as a light for your path. That's what the psalmist says. The word of God is a powerful weapon. Dude, either sin will keep us from the word of God, the Bible, or the Bible will keep us from sin. That's how it works. There's no way you're ever going to overcome and kill sin and sinful addictions in your life without the Word of God. That's what the Spirit of God uses. We need to be men of the Word. We need to get in the Word and get the Word in us. Constantly. Every single day. Focus on it and fill up on it. The more you stay focused and full... The things of this world, they won't have the pull that they would, you know. That's how it works. What you behold, you become. So what do you need to behold? Behold Christ. Behold God. Behold his truth. His plan. His way of living. His kingdom. Behold it constantly. What you behold, you become. Dude, you want your faith to come alive? Get in the word of God daily and get it in you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's what the Bible is. Right there, guys. And that's why I believe the Bible truly is the word of God. It is, to me, the only true sacred writing, Biblia, Sacra, Holy Scriptures. All these other ones, I'm not saying that they don't contain elements of truth. They can, and some of them do, but the Bible as a whole, all 66 books, the inspired Word of God. I believe that. And... That's how I look at it, and then that's what I'm following. couple closing items of Grizz Biz. Thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Hope it was a blessing to you. Um, if this show is a blessing to you, then be a blessing back to our nonprofit ministry. You can become a monthly supporter for as little as $10 or $20 per month. 
or you can make a one-time donation. We need that. Don't just be a consumer, be a contributor. Partner with us in what we're doing to ignite and equip men to honor God, live manly. The Grizz Podcast is an outreach and narrow trail ministries incorporated. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We will always send you a record of your donation for tax purposes, and you can make that donation at narrowtrail.com. Narrowtrail.com. Click on our give page. There's also a link in the show show notes. Um, if you guys want to connect with me via email or social media, there are some links in the show notes. Uh, you can also do that at narrowtrail.com or at our other website, which is thegrizpodcast.com. Thegrizpodcast.com. I uh, would love to connect with you guys. I heard from some listeners this past week, and uh, it's just good stuff. Also, do you need a good, solid weekly support recovery growth group? Check out our climb teams. They meet online every single week via Zoom. I lead all of them. I would love to have you. The membership is just $40 per month, and it is well worth it with all that you get. To learn more, go to narrowtrail.com, click on our climb team page. It'll tell you all about it. It was all recently updated yesterday, so go check it out. Let's see. What else? I send out a weekly email for Christian men who are serious about honoring God and living manly. It's called The Growl. That's right, The Growl. And it goes out every Friday. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Just contains some helpful content, links, resources, recommendations. There's a link in the show notes to sign up for that. Also, you can see it at our homepage, narrowtrail.com. There's a place to sign up. So that's it. That's it for this week, for this episode. Dude, honor God, live manly, get in the word, get the word in you. Yeah. Yeah.